up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. If you are using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 636. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, page 636. As we continue this little mini-series in our study in Proverbs, and we're looking over the next couple of weeks at the theme of uh, our speech, the words we use that come out of our mouths, and how we're called to glorify God with our speech. Proverbs 12.22 is our focus verse this morning. So just when you thought reality TV couldn't sink any lower, there's this new show. It's called Moment of Truth. Oh, yeah. I, I'd kind of seen commercials for it, and so I went online and I just watched a little, like, the highlights of it. Have you seen the show? For those of you who are uh, so lowbrow that you haven't seen Moment of Truth, um, it, it's, it, the way it's, this is the whole premise. The contestant's a game show where they try to win money, you know, it's typical. But the, the contestant is strapped into a lie detector. And they ask the contestant increasingly embarrassing and personal questions. And if the contestant chooses to continue to answer the questions truthfully, the amount of money they win increases and goes up and up. And if they they ever lie, they lose all their money. Or they can just choose to walk away and not answer any more questions. And and so, uh, you know, they they do these embarrassing things like one lady was on there and her mom is right there in the audience. They always bring your pertinent family members there. And so they ask her, they say, do you believe that you're a better mother to your children than your mother was to you? And she has to answer that. And she said, yes. Do you believe that your in-laws are better parents to you than your own parents are? Yes. It was just, it's so embarrassing. Then this other lady, and it was even worse, this other lady, uh, I mean, I can't believe it. Well, first they asked her things like, have you ever been fired from stealing, for stealing money from work? She said, yes. You know. And then they get in, and this is where it got really I just thought, like, very uncomfortable and just bizarre. They started asking her about her marriage. They said, you know, when you uh, got married on your wedding date, do you think you might have been in love with someone else? Yes. Her husband's right there. And then, have you ever been unfaithful to your husband? Yes. And then they bring out a former boyfriend. And she's like, oh, what's he doing here? And he raises the question. And, you know, she didn't have to answer, but if she wants money, she does. And so... And he asks, he says, if I were to offer to get back together with you right now, would you leave your husband and join me? She said, yes. And I was just like, I mean, I felt like I had to take like a moral shower, you know, and just like, ah, I'm so disturbed by this show. And, and I was trying to figure out why I was so disturbed. It, it was in multiple factors. One, I think, is, is simply the, the grotesque voyeurism of it all that these people would exploit themselves and, and the, the TV show would exploit them so that they could make money and, and the TV show could make money through ratings and all that stuff. But I think I was also uh, really troubled just by seeing what lies are really like up close and personal. You, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, lying's bad. Lying's bad? Yeah? Mm, okay, we all agree lying's bad. As, you know, we think about that as an abstraction. Yeah, don't lie. But when you... When you see the effects of a life of deception and you see sort of like right in your face the human car wreck that's taken place because of lies, you know, it's so troubling. And I just found it, you know, so disturbing. But what it took a TV show to remind me of about 
the destructive and really grotesque nature of lying. Uh, and, and it took a TV show to remind me of that. I'll tell you what, it doesn't take God a TV show. God is aware of truth and lies all the time. He sees sin and righteousness for what they are. He doesn't have to be reminded. And so we look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. Pretty strong. It's pretty clear. The Lord detests lying lips. God, you know, that, that's a strong word. And in fact, it's a strong word in English. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, I think it's even stronger. Because here, this little verb detest, very strong. But in Hebrew, it's actually a noun that in the translation they sort of converted into a verb. But in Hebrew, it's a noun. It's an abomination to Yahweh, an abomination to the Lord, is our lips of deception. So really, what God views lying is, is an abomination which is an extremely strong word. I think we talked about this word a couple of months ago when we saw it in another proverb. But, you know, abomination is not really the kind of word we use very much. You know, we might say, oh man, that movie stunk. Or we might say, oh, that restaurant is gross or it's overpriced. But we would rarely say, that movie was an abomination. <laughs> it just doesn't really fit a politically correct culture like ours to, to really call something. You know, an abomination is something horrible and repugnant. What do you do with an abomination? You destroy it, right? You don't see an abomination and say, well, maybe I'll, I'll have a dialogue with that abomination and I'll learn a little bit from it and we can have a mutual understanding. No. If something is an abomination, it means that it's so morally vile and, and uh, just repugnant that it makes your whole soul just kind of contract like, oh! Right? And that's how God feels about lying. Not like, oh, you know, yeah, we all lie. Sometimes we tell lies and it's a white lie. Just this horror that God has toward it. Which which is pretty problematic for us now, isn't it? (laughs) Because we are people who struggle with telling the truth. It's just the nature of human beings. From childhood, we are just born liars. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I never had to teach my kids how to lie. My parents never had to teach me how to lie. Human beings lie as soon as they can talk. You know, human beings lie naturally just like a snake slithers naturally. Just, we do it. Uh, and often for many of us, uh, that, that lying that we have naturally within us is reinforced by families where there are patterns of relating and discussing that encourage and enhance the lying. Uh, Some of us come from um, uh, families with addiction and that's a huge part of addiction is lying and concealing and, you know, terrible things taking place but everyone, you know, everything's fine, got a perfect family, we're all happy and nothing is being addressed that needs to be addressed. Uh, You know, you've heard the uh, the old one about denial. Denial's a river that runs through a lot of our families. Um, That's really true. And then uh, we become teenagers, and maybe you remember this one as a teenager. Oh, I'm just going over to a friend's house to watch a movie, right? And underneath your clothes are your party clothes that you can't wear, and you wear those out. And then as adults, we, we have social situations where we, we lie. Hey, you want to get together this weekend? Oh, yeah, I'm real busy. Uh, I got a lot of stuff going on. Like what? Uh, stuff, lots of it. It's going on. Or, or, or work, you know, we call in sick and like, <coughs> just, ah, I can't make it, <coughs> you know. And we're just trying to 
to get out of work one day. Or, or maybe, you know, a client calls us and says, where's the, uh, the report you told me you're going to send me? And then we're like, oh. So we lie and say, oh, I, uh, yeah, I sent that. Uh, yeah, didn't you get that in the email? Oh, don't worry, I'll resend it. And we hang up and we're like, oh, no, I've got to get this done. And it's just, it's natural uh, to us. It's native to our constitution that we lie. My, I was talking this about my wife, and, and she shared one with me that she was tempted with. She, uh, she just switched hairdressers, which I guess is a big deal for women. I'm, I'm trying to relate. And, and she said she had this fear. She said, what if I see my old hairdresser around town? And, uh, which I guess is awkward. It helped me. Uh, so, um, but, but she, so she's like, what am I going to say if I see her around town? And she told me, she says, the thought crossed her mind. Well, I could just say... Oh, I'm going back to an old hairdresser that was an old friend, and they're back in town doing business again. Uh, now, my wife wanted me to make perfectly clear that if I was allowed to use that illustration, I would make clear to you that it was simply a temptation that she didn't act on it. So, I mean, how, often, how often do we tell 80% of the story, but we leave out 20%, because that's the part, but the 80% you'll be cool with? Or how often do I tell 120% of the story? I tell the story, and then I, well, it's kind of boring, so I'll just kind of add a little bit to beef it up. Either way, we tell too much or we tell too little. And so when it says here that God detests lying lips, that they're an abomination to the Lord, I frankly see that that puts us in a very precarious kind of position if that's how God feels about deception and falsehood in all of its manifold forms in our lives. And so we try to get around it. We're like, hmm, maybe there's a loophole here. Maybe, maybe, there's a, maybe it doesn't quite mean that. Maybe there's a nuance that I can sort of swiggle through it in some way. And, and so we try to either water down the idea of God's hatred of lying, or we try to water down lying and soften it so it's a little more gray and a little more fuzzy. Uh, so, for instance, we take that phrase, lying lips, and we start to say, well, really, what is truth anyway? I mean, what is lying? You know, and we live in this relativistic time. We've become enlightened. We're now postmodern. We're so smart. And, and, you know, in a postmodern world, we've come to realize there's no such thing as truth. There's just perspectives. You know, we don't have truth anymore. We have perspectives. You have your perspective, and I have my perspective. And you know what? That's okay. So let's stop arguing about truth, and, and let's stop debating about truth. And, you know, let's just go to Starbucks. And let's sit down and let's just share our perspectives. And, and we can have a mutually uh, uh, interesting sharing of perspectives. And, and, and I can learn from your cultural context and viewpoint. And we can mutually enrich each other as we... Uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but where's the truth? Oh, truth. That's so ancient. No one knows about it. The truth isn't something you can find. There's no such thing as truth. There's just truth for me and truth for you. And so in that sort of mm, uh, atmosphere which we live, lying really thrives because it's nice. Cause it's, I mean, really, if there's no truth, then what's a lie? I mean, how do you define a lie? Well, it's just different viewpoints on things. So there really isn't truth and error. There isn't anything that can be known. There's just lots of different little voices out there in a sea of humanity having a big conversation about whatever. Right? And sometimes when we tell lies, it's easy to start believing our own lies. 
And if you've ever been in a cycle of lying or a time in your life when you've just told lies and how easy it is to start convincing yourself that what you're saying is true. That's how you know when you've got a problem with lying is when you start lying about things you don't even need to lie about because you forgot how to tell the truth. And sometimes people can become so wrapped up in their lies that they can't even distinguish between what they're perceiving at a moment and what reality is. So it's like they don't know how to do anything but just say whatever's in their head that they're making up at the moment. We can become so lost and confused. We deceive ourselves, even deceive ourselves. But I'll tell you what, God, God is on His throne. God is reigning and ruling over the world that He has made. And God sees it all. He's not limited by perspectivism. You know, there's some truth in perspectivism, right? I don't know all the truth. You don't know all the truth. But we worship a God who does. And God sees all things, and for Him, it's not a matter of opinion. He sees what is and what isn't from His vantage point on His throne. And, you know, He's given us this Word to guide us into the truth. The world is gray around us, but look at this is in black and white. We need this. We, we need God's truth, because otherwise it all is just opinions and voices and meaninglessness. And so if there is truth to be known, we need to hear it from the one who is outside of our limitations and outside of sin and who can see things as it is. And if that God speaks to us, I mean, what an awesome gift that is to have truth to set us free. Uh, And so that's one way we try to get around this is to deny that truth is real or that lying is real. And we try to water that down, but it's, it's real. God knows the truth. The other thing we try to water down is the first part of the sentence. The Lord detests. Maybe there's the loophole. Maybe that's how we get out of this conundrum. And we say, well, God, I mean, detests? I don't know. That's a little strong. I mean, God really wouldn't detest things. God really wouldn't be, you know, angry at sin like that. Because, you know, God is... You finish the sentence. God is love. It's like the love boat. The love God. He's just love. He's all gushy and mushy. Hey, pastor. Don't you get to know your Bible? It says in the Bible that God is love. Yeah, I know it says that. In fact, let me show you where it says that. Put a bookmark here in Proverbs. And I'm going to show you where it says in the Bible that God is love. It actually says those words. It's in 1 John chapter 4. At the back of the, the Bible. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, page 1209. So we leave the Old Testament where God is mean and we're going to go to the New Testament where God is nice. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Page 1209. And it tells us that God is love. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because, there it is, God is love. So is God love? Of course He is. In fact, I would even say that God is more love than we have even conceived of and that our definitions of what it means for God to be love are so puny compared to what His love is really like. God is more loving than we can even begin to fathom and imagine. The problem is that so many times people take that, those three words, God is love, they rip them out of the Bible and that becomes the only thing that they want to affirm about God. And so anytime the Bible challenges us on our behavior, we say, God is love, God is love. 
And, and so rather than taking that as a, a piece of who God is and understanding the totality of His person, we, we use that as kind of like a little uh, protective phrase clipped out from the Bible. God is love. God is love. Yeah, He is love. But He's, he's more than just love. He's a lot of things. In fact, I think we skipped over something. We skipped over 1 John chapter 1 on our rush to get to 1 John chapter 4. And what does it say about God in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5? It says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. Don't hear that one bandied about too much. But there it is. God is light. What does that mean? Well, that's talking about His holiness. In Him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. God is light. Yes, He's love. He's more love than we could ever imagine. But you know what? He's also more holy than we have even yet begun to try to imagine. He's a holy God. And He hates sin. You know, Jesus said to His opponents who are harassing Him, he says, you lie, and, and your father is the devil because the devil is the father of lies. That's pretty strong. And when Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 were struck dead by God, what was it that brought about God's wrath? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Or let me show you another one I found. Uh, turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. This is a great part of the Bible. I love Revelation 21. It's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. This is the new world that God is going to create someday when, when He finally puts evil and sin down and makes the world as we all know it should be in our hearts. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Here's a description. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Ah, I can't wait to go there. I should preach a sermon just run that right now. It's so... Ah, we've got to move on. Look at verse 7. This is where he tells us who is allowed into this new heavens and the new earth. Verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. So the, the person who overcomes, what that means is the person who professes to be a Christian and despite all of the challenges of the world, remains obedient to Christ to the end. That, that's how you know that you're really a Christian. Is, is not because you walk down an aisle at an altar call, although that may be part of it, but the way you know you're a Christian is over the course of your life, do you continue to remain faithful to Christ? That's the mark of real Christianity. And so those who overcome will inherit this. Real Christians who've, who by God's grace have overcome. Who will not inherit it? Well, verse 8. The cowardly. That's interesting. And then we get this list of usual suspects. And our first instinct is probably to be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Those people shouldn't be there. You get, uh, first of all, the unbelieving. Well, yeah, atheists. I mean, why would they be in heaven with God? That, that makes perfect sense to me. Oh yeah, of course. And then the vile. Oh sure, we don't want vile people. It's a perfect place. You don't want vile people. They're murderers. Oh yeah, murderers. <laughs> of course not. That's bad. 
The sexually immoral. Oh, yeah, no perverts in heaven. Definitely not. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm glad all those bad people aren't going to be there. And then he says, those uh, who practice magic arts. Well, I hadn't really thought of that, but yeah, you know, Satanists and, and Goths and, you know, people who have tattoos and nose rings and, and don't dress like a suburbanite. I mean, you know, all those kind of, you know, creepy sort of people who play Dungeons and Dragons and listen to heavy metal music. And yeah, those bad people. Okay. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Idolaters. Oh, sure. Worship an idol. Well, that's great. All this list of people. There are all those bad people out there. Oh, wait, there's one more. All liars. Whew. Whoops, I thought I was safe. And maybe, if I wasn't lying to myself, I would admit that I am cowardly, that I am unbelieving, that we have all, uh, according to Jesus, been murderers by hating our brother, that according to Jesus, we've all been sexually immoral, even with impure thoughts, that we've all practiced magic arts to a degree. We've believed in superstition. We've believed in astrology and horoscopes. We've gotten into believing in things other than God have power over our lives. That we've all made idols in our hearts. And I realize, wow, that really is me. And uh, liars too. Where do they go? Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Wow, what a powerful verse. And so even in the New Testament, the Lord detests lying lips. God's opinion of truth has not changed. He still hates lying. And you know, I think if we're honest, um, in those moments of clarity in our lives which come every once in a while, when we're really honest, we'll admit that we know lying is really that bad. That, That sometimes you may be living a lie, but you'll wake up in the middle of the night and for whatever reason... It's like all about you and you're like, wow, I'm living a lie and this is not good. And, and it comes upon you and you realize how destructive it is. And so for a, a fleeting moment, for, you have an epiphany and it's as if God's view of lying resonates with us and, and we begin to see things the way God does, even if for a moment. And we realize this is awful. I, uh, I had a friend from uh, college who uh, told me this great story about the pain of trying to keep a lie alive. Uh, this this guy I knew he um, he was dating three girls at once for about a three month period, and none of the other girls knew <laughs> about the other girls. So he kept it all alive with with different you know lying to this one that one, and and it went on for about three months. And just the the sense of feeling so dirty and rotten to keep the lie alive. But to keep this lie alive, you got to tell another lie and another lie, and it just keeps going. Until finally what happened was, I guess one night, uh, he was with one of the women watching a movie, and they're hanging out in his apartment, and another one of the women called and said, you know, hey, what are you doing? Can I come over? Let's get together. And, and he was like, he wanted, the other girl was right there, so he had to sort of pretend that he was talking to a guy. And so it was like, oh, dude, man, you know, sorry. I, you know, I can't hang out tonight. I'm tired. You know, oh, it's cool. All right, talk to you later. Who was that? Oh, just some guy I know. He's real needy. I don't want to hang out with him. Oh, okay. And so they hung out there a little longer. And, and a little while later, a car drives up outside the apartment building. You can see where this is going, right? And um, the car door slams. And, and he knew the sound of that car door. I guess it had a particular sound. He knew that the, that girl on the phone had come over. And so he says to the girl he's with, Quick, turn out the lights! <laughs> and hide. And so they turn out the lights. And... She's like, who are we hiding from? 
oh, it's that guy on the phone. He's, he's here. I, just, I don't want to have to deal with him. Okay, whatever. And then, you know, you know, hello. I know you're in there. I saw the lights go out, you know. And, and so, so he goes to the door and like opens it a little bit just to talk to her, but they can't see each other. And Yeah, I, I'm really tired. I'm, I'm busy at night and I can't get together. And she pushes the door open. She gives him a big hug. You know, it's a little more than a hug. And the other girl sees him. And I guess the other girl is like, excuse me, you know, <laughs> who are you? And, well, who are you? And then it was like, and then they realized, I, I, apparently, as I was told the story, they realized simultaneously that they weren't the problem. And they, you know, <laughs> turned toward this buddy of mine. The first girl walks up to him, smack! Walks out. The other girl, <laughs> he tries to comfort her, smack! <laughs> and she walks out. But what was interesting in that story... Um, Besides the fact that he was now, fortunately, down to one girl, which was good. But uh, what's interesting in that story, as he told me, is, is as humiliating as that moment was, as embarrassing as that moment was, as painful it was to get slapped, right? The relief of being out from under the lie. Like, oh, I don't have to keep the lie alive anymore. I'm going to tell you, there's such freedom in coming out from under a lie. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're living a lie and it's like it is just killing you. But you're terrified to tell the truth. Because what what'll happen? And I don't know what'll happen. I know one thing that'll happen though, is that you'll be free. You know, then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it is such release and such simplicity and security in life just by being truthful about things. Um and so, yeah, you know it's not right. And you need to, to somehow let that go and speak the truth. Just to talk to whoever it is you need to talk to about whatever it is you need to talk to. And realize that God hates lying. If, if it's not motivation enough to be free, then perhaps fear will motivate you to know that God is a holy God and He hates lying. But notice the other half of the verse, going back to Proverbs 12.22. If we could just come back to our original text. We'd be remiss if we only focused on the negative and didn't look at the positive. The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. God loves the truth because He is the truth. And so just as lying evokes um, an almost violent, uh, wrathful response from God, So, at the opposite extreme, telling the truth evokes this warm-hearted, loving, magnetized, attractive response from God. It says that God um, delights in men who are truthful. Or the Hebrew word can be translated, they are His favor, they are His desire. It's like God wants them. He, He wants to embrace them and draw them close because He's light and light is attracted to light. And so God loves the truth. And he loves those who love the truth. And I think I can relate to that, even as a dad. Uh, I was thinking about this. You, you know, sometimes you catch kids lying. And like I said, we all lie at different times as, as children. And especially when kids are really little, like you can obviously tell when they're lying. And they're freaked out because they can't believe that. How do they know? You know, but somehow you just, it's so obvious. They're such bad liars at that age. 
And so, you know, did you do it? Like, no. Are you sure you didn't do it? Yeah. You know, and, and so you start like bringing in pieces of evidence. And then you do like good cop, bad cop with your spouse. And it, it's like the CIA. You just break them psychologically. And, you know, and they eventually come to this place where they're like, like, I'm sorry, I did it. And, and they, they finally just spill it all there. And you'd think you'd be really angry at that point. Man, your heart just overflows with compassion. And you just are like, oh, like I know I need to give you a consequence or punishment, and I will, but oh, I just want to hug you. Because your children have embraced truth. And it just it evokes such compassion and tenderness from your heart as a parent. Because they're not just obeying because they're scared of you. Now their hearts have been broken and their hearts have been opened up to God. And I think that that must be a little bit of what God is like when He sees His children walking in the truth. It gives Him such joy. And He just is like, Oh, I love you. I just want to embrace you and draw you closer. We are the children of the light. And so we need to live as children of the light. To walk in the light. And to be in harmony and fellowship with our Father who loves us so much. And so you see, love and light are not mutually contradictory. They both go together. And it's joyous when we walk in love and walk in light and we experience both with our Heavenly Father. So whatever it is that God is calling you to do to be more truthful, I just want to encourage you to go for it. It may be scary. You may be feeling pressure. There may be people at work saying, don't tell the truth. Because it's going to hurt our bottom line. It's going to affect our numbers. Don't, don't speak truthfully about that. Someone's going to be mad. Forget all that. Nothing's more important than your relationship with God. And so we need to embrace the truth and speak truthfully. Because telling the truth can be hard. In fact, you know what? I'll just end with this. You know what the hardest truth to tell is? There's one truth that I think is harder to admit than any other. The hardest truth to admit is that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. That's the hardest one of all. Because, you know, I'll admit about this and I'll admit about that, but then I'll like justify, I'll be like, but of course I did that because so-and-so did that. And of course I responded that way because of how I was treated as a child or whatever. And we come up with this whole world of excuses for our behavior. But when you finally step back and say, no, 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 I am a broken sinner who is an abomination to God, who needs someone to save me from His wrath. That's just, that does not come naturally to us. And in fact, I believe that that self-justification and that self-righteousness is sort of the last refuge of our deceit. That's where it runs when everything else is burning down. That's the citadel where lies flee to, is that I am not a sinner. I don't need a Savior. And we, we lie up to ourselves about that. Um, you know, I was talking about that show and that lady who admitted to like having an affair and all this other stuff. Well, after she had answered all those questions, they hit her with one more question for even more money. And, and I could not believe this question. I mean, I almost, like my mouth was like, ah. They asked her, get this, this is the question they asked her. After asking all that and admitting all that, they asked her, do you believe that you are a good person? I was like, whoa. I can't believe they're asking this. And then, you know what she answered? Yes. After admitting of stealing and affairs and all this stuff, yes, I'm a good person. 
And then this was the really profound part that just made my mind flip. The lie detector said, she's lying. And I was like, ah, amazing spiritual moment in, in TV sewage. There's this amazing thing that just happened. Like, did, they, did that just happen? So I'm like, All right, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. I'm, I'm trying to think this through. So she knows that she isn't a good person, but the desire to lie to herself about that is so strong that she will lie about the fact that she isn't a good person, even though she knows she's strapped to a lie detector, even though she knows if she just told the truth, she'd win like $200,000 or something crazy. But our impulse to justify ourselves and not repent of sin is so powerful that even then she lied about what she really knew about herself. It was just amazing. I was like, that's incredible. I think, is this real? Does someone just hand me this illustration on a platter? I mean, it's, it's perfect. Right? But the door to the kingdom of God is the door of truth. And so, in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to come to the place of saying, I am a helpless sinner in need of a Savior. I am I'm an abomination before God, as is. Without Jesus, I'm an abomination. Not just I struggle or I have issues. Like God hates my sin with hellfire hatred. But Jesus died for me. He, he who is truth, Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He who is pure, undiluted truth and love went to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus became an abomination. So that I, who am a sinner, could be forgiven and clothed with a righteousness that is not my own, but that comes from Him. And so to, to enter the kingdom of God, there's a simple doorway. And it's the doorway of truth. And we have to say, yes, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I cannot save myself. My religion's not good enough. My do-gooderism is not good enough. My volunteering at the shelter or wherever is not good enough. I need a Savior. And we need to look to Jesus who is that Savior. May the Holy Spirit empower our minds and our hearts to be opened so that we can see things as they really are. That we are great sinners, but that Christ is a great Savior for all who call upon Him. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, we worship You this morning because You are the truth. You are the Word of the Father made flesh. Lord, there is no darkness in You. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we as Your followers would become increasingly children of the light in the way we behave. We are the children of the light, Lord. Help us to live it out. God, I pray that You teach us how to be truthful to one another, as hard as that is. Help us, Lord, to tell 100% of the story. Lord, as it, as it commands us in Ephesians, that we might put off falsehood and speak truthfully with one another because we're all members of one body. And so, God, help us to put off falsehood and speak truthfully. God, I pray that You would make our church a laboratory where we learn to practice truth-telling. And that, God, it might be a place of grace where we can come to one another and say, you know what I said last week? And, and admit our sins and, Lord, find forgiveness as we know that we're learning to be truthful together. 
And Lord Jesus, I pray that um, regardless of whether we've been Christians for 40 years or whether we're not Christians at all, that you would bring us again and again to that place where we admit that we are helpless without you and that we need a Savior. And we continue to need your saving grace in our lives to be holy. And so, Lord, help us to be honest. Help us to be transparent. Help us, Lord, to put off all the a phony show that we think we have to put up for each other. All the show about I'm successful or I'm wealthy or I'm smart or I'm self-righteous. And God, just admit that we are all paupers spiritually, that we are all blind spiritually, and that we need Your grace. And so God, would You just pour out that kind of spirit of honesty and repentance upon this church. And Lord, may it start by being poured out upon me. And so, Lord, we ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.